Hello and welcome to the fifth episode of Wildest Cougar Stories. I am Carolina. And I'm Craig. We are actually coming to you still from Sweden. Yes, we're still here for another two weeks or so for you. Yeah. And I'm here for another month. Mm, yeah, we had an exciting week. No, that was very cool. Yeah, we celebrated midsummer. That was the first time for you. And we had a bunch of friends over and had a really big, good party. And did the whole full-on Swedish midsummer thing, and I think that was a cool experience for you. Yeah, it was one of like I think like from a party and kind of cultural enriching experience was one probably one of the best I've ever had. Just because I think coming from South Africa, it's so out of left field uh, or so out of the ordinary. Mm. Um, so yeah, it was it was really it was really really awesome actually. What did you think about the midsummer poll? <laughs> So first of all, what is it supposed to replicate? That was a discussion. For yeah, the whole some weekend. people, some people had this argument, and this is where this is where I'm like super confused about all traditions actually globally. So every every country has these traditions, but no one really knows why you have these traditions. Yeah, we have no idea. <laughs> so um, I was trying to ask like there was what at least like 14, 15 Swedish people at this party, and I tried to ask each and every one of them what is the significance of this this party, this poll, these weird dances that make everyone look like they're in a cult. Um, <laughs> and, I, and no one could answer me what the reason was behind all this. And um, there's this one song where you dance like, I don't know, it translates to English is like frogs, frogs, they have no ears, they have yeah. no tails. And it's just, why is that song? And no one knows. And they're just like, well, we drink and we have a good time. Like you basically <laughs> dance around a circle. Yeah. And you're singing that frogs have no ears and they, they have, have no, no tail. Tails. And you're like jumping and you make these movements as if you're a frog jumping around the pole. It is very weird, but it's just something that you like, you grew up with. And it's just like, no, you need to do this in midsummer. That's what it, what it is. I think it's just been passed down from generation to generation. And I think over the years, people have kind of forgotten why they actually do it absolutely but it, it just after all that um the traditional dances and dancing around this bloody pole <laughs> you you then go back for a big lunch and get quite drunk because schnapps is quite a big thing yes yeah. <laughs> um, it's a big deal <laughs> and you sing for the schnapps as well yeah so you can't just it's not like anywhere else in the world it's not like america it's not like south africa when you want a shot you can just have a shot it's you have to sing to earn your shot in swedish Yes. Yeah. So, no, it was cool. It was it was a very, very cool experience. Yeah, but it was a great vibe, a very good party, a, a whole cool bunch of people, and we really had an awesome, awesome mm. time. But to head into what we are going to be talking about in today's episode, we were thinking of covering a few listener questions that we've gotten now over the past few yeah. weeks, and just want to dive in a little bit deeper on a certain a few topics. But before we head into that... Me and Craig had an idea yesterday that we are going to start each episode and finish each ep episode with giving each other a guest scenario that we haven't like spoken to the other person about before. Yeah. And it can be things that have happened to us before. And it can be things that have happened to friends of ours or colleagues or whatever. So we're going to give each other this scenario and... And then you get to choose. Yeah, well, it's it's either going to be a, um, a, do you do an, a, this is what's happening, do you do A, B, or C, or is it going to be, would you rather have this happen to you or that happen to you? So we thought that could be a, a fun um, addition yeah. 
yeah. to the podcast. And Carolina's going to go first. So we're going to usually do these one in the beginning of the episode and then one at the end of the episode. And I think Carolina's got one. She's on the edge of her seat, like <laughs> wanting to do this. And we're not allowed to know what the other the other person has to plan one and it's got to be like completely out of the ordinary not prepped whatsoever so carolina go okay so craig imagine this your guest tells you the day before that they are not going on game drive in the morning because they're going to pack their suitcase because they're leaving Mm -hmm. that day so they're not going on the morning game drive so you say okay no problem you go down to the lodge in the morning to wake all the other guests up you knock on their doors or whatever. So you're walking around the lodge and as you pass this particular guest's room, he comes out from his room only with jocks on. Nothing else. For those of you who don't know, with jocks on, it's underpants. Underpants. Only underpants on, nothing else. And he just screams. Ah! This actually happened um, to me and a manager we both worked with. <laughs> we'll get into yeah, that now. Okay, you've got the options. He just screams at you. What do you do? A, you run away because you're scared of this man screaming at you. Two, you scream back. Just say same thing, scream back at him. Three, you run to the bar and get him a Heineken. <laughs> so everyone will understand the answer to my question here. Uh, and that is definitely option three. You run to the bar and get him a Heineken. Uh, and you will understand why Why after I tell this story. So yeah, definitely option number three. Get him a Heineken. Get the man to calm down. Now there was this... <laughs> there was this Finnish guy that checked into a lodge where me and Carolina were actually the assistant managers. And uh, he couldn't speak a word of English. He uh, actually just a solid guy, like a really, really nice guy. I wish, awesome. I wish he could speak English because he seemed like, and he had a quite a special story. His wife had passed away and just before she had passed away, she said, I want you to go travel the world. Um, and that's what he's doing um, or was in 20, early 2020. Uh, just a really, really nice guy, but couldn't speak a word of English. The one morning he did exactly what Carolina said. He said, no, I'm not going to, he said, what, he made gestures and said, paka, paka, which yes. we, we assumed, myself and my manager at the time, assumed was, oh, you're going to pack your bag. The next morning, exactly how Carolina described it, we were walking and literally he stood on his deck as we were about five minutes before the vehicles were about to leave and he stood on his deck and shouted, but not like a, a, a direct shout, not like a, hey, excuse me, like a flat out, <laughs> like. Chewbacca from Star Wars and um, we were just like what is happening there's guests passing he's standing there in his little tidy whities and yeah it was it, it was it was it was an enriching experience to say the least and why would you get, run and get him a Heineken because every morning he would come down to the lodge 10 minutes before the get, other guests would arrive and he, obviously he couldn't speak English and he would get to the bar and said Heineken Heineken he would neck half a Heineken, this is 5 o'clock in the morning, neck half a Heineken, put the cap back on so he could have the other half when he got back for breakfast, and then he would not have coffee and head out for his morning game drive. Um, so yeah, he was, a, he was an interesting character. To be fair, it was 5 o'clock. 
it was five just o'clock. in the morning it that's was five people. o'clock but yeah. he, we, I think we have more stories from, from his stay at the lodge that yeah, we'll probably we'll mention an, later. It'll fill an episode. It will fill an episode. <laughs> he was an awesome guest, but definitely one of the most interesting yeah, um, guests that we've had. So that's why... Yeah, that's remember why when he ordered, a, he ordered a Honda Civic for dinner? Yes. Yeah, we were trying to do Finnish Translate, and later on we had an agent that had... I said no. The Finnish translate to English on the on Google Translate doesn't work, and um, we would have loved that information six months earlier. But uh, he, we said like, okay, what do you want to dinner? Here are the options, and we translated to Finnish on the uh, on the on Google Translate, and then he responded by talking into the Google. We thought we were head above the rest with regards to technology. And it came up in English that he wanted for dinner a what a Honda Civic twenty seventeen yeah. model <laughs> for dinner. Um, great, we'll get the chefs to whip that right up. <laughs> yeah. But enough about our Finnish friend. Yes, we'll definitely talk more about him at a later stage. But to jump into what we're talking about in today's episode, we've got a few listener questions, and the first question that we thought we would cover is, uh, someone asked us, how do we identify leopards so how do we see the difference i think not only leopards but maybe lions as well or or Mm. animals in general but i think leopards is quite an interesting one so we can dive a little bit deeper into that how do we identify and see okay this leopard looks different than this leopard because to the eye they very much look the same yeah i think uh, it's a very good question and because i've been called we've been in the field for so long we, we we tend to we tend to move past that immediately and not really um, talk about how we can identify it to that individual and it's good to have listener questions like that because it, it kind of just um, brings us back to what we should actually be starting to talk about when we talk about animals we know. So basically different predators have different forms of identification or how we, how we identify those predators. So leopards is for me, it's a passion project, Carolina would know. They're my favorite animal they have been for probably about 25 years of my life. And um, I was always passionate about how to identify uh, leopards. And I did quite a few leopard identification projects at various reserves that I, I worked at. But it's mainly to do with facial markings. So they have quite unique spot patterns on their face. So we, uh, we could start at the whisker lines. on the last line of whiskers are usually quite unique those whisker line patterns can be passed through to from generation to generation so you might find a mother and a daughter might have similar whisker line patterns but then you start looking at other facial markings or other just other identification like eye color for example the monzo male remember years ago had strikingly blue eyes and you just that that's how you would identify because he was the only male leopard in that area that had blue eyes. Also, the the snout itself, the eyes, the spots between the eyes uh, can be quite unique um, to an individual. And above the eyes itself, uh, there are small spots above uh, both left and right eyes that can differ in some, some way, shape or form. But with leopard, it's all about the face itself. You also have other things like you know, a kink in the tail, for example, is an easy <clears throat> sign. You know, scarring. Is some some individuals will have like a very specific kind yeah. of scar, and then it's quite easy to like very quickly pick up on what kind of animal, what male it is, or female, yeah. Yeah, what yeah. individual it is. And 
I think also when you, for example, Craig, work in an area for a longer time, you work at a lodge and you work in an area, you learn what, because leopards are territorial animals, so they have a territory that they hang around mm. in and very rarely will they move that, leave that territory. So you will know usually when you find a female leopard in this area, you will know that it's this female and then you will just have to double check by like looking at her face yeah and, you know making sure that it is her and not like a, another female that's coming mm. to the area but you will 99 percent of the time know just from the area what female you'll have a general you'd be like i would say you'd probably be like 70 percent sure that it's this individual especially if you've seen her from a distance or seen him from a distance you'd be like you you if you if you know your area you will kind of click and go like all right well i'm in this area this is if you were tracking a specific leopard you're like okay cool i'm probably tracking this specific individual mm -hmm. but with that being said we have been proved wrong proven wrong on, on on a lot of occasions you know uh younger males passing through dominant males territories um or dominant other dominant males coming to push push boundaries to try expand their territory um, or daughters of various females. So there's there's so many different scenarios where you could but you could get a bit confused. But in general, when you when you're driving or tracking a leopard and you know you're in a specific territory, you're generally about seventy percent sure that it's going to be that individual. Mm. And also, I think you know being in the area for a long time and you know getting to know the leopards mm. and same with not just leopards but animals in general, you start recognizing like. Yeah, I don't know the way they walk. Can you like res recognize yeah, specific tracks? Like even I mean, Twin Spot. Uh, uh, I'm not going to mention the reserve. I almost did, um, but Twin Spot was a female leopard years ago. She actually, I can't remember if it was right or left foot. She had a skewed toe mm. where there was a slight in her back foot. Um, I can't, like I said, I can't remember if it was right or left, but on her, one of her digits mm. was slightly skewed. And that's how you could 100% identify that you were tracking Twin Spot. That's very interesting. I also remember a leopard at one of the lodges we worked at that was very, very dark. Mm, yes, yes, And I yes. think, you know, seeing a leopard for the first time, maybe you won't pick up on that. But when you've seen, you know, this individual quite a lot and seen other leopards in the area and so on, you, you can pick up that she, she was quite dark in color yeah, compared yeah, yeah. to other leopards. She was a, an incredible, and, and like, just to finish off her feature, she had those striking orange eyes. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So she was, a, yeah, I mean, you could see, if you used, if you caught her across the river line, which the river line was about, what, 100 meters, or sorry, 50 to 100 meters, and she was lying in a tree. Um, if you used your binoculars, you could probably identify her just through the uh, the darkness of the coat. Yeah. I remember her daughter also had those. Yeah, you spotted her daughter the first time. Yeah, yeah. I did. Yeah. At that time, she had blue eyes though. And yeah, because she was only three weeks old. Yeah, and then they yeah. also became very, very dark orange. Yeah, they, they became orange. So yeah. yeah, that's going back to mothers and fathers passing down their genes to their daughters or to offspring. Also, thinks maybe something that we should mention now because we are going to be talking about this a lot mm. because you would want to move on to other cats as well mm. and how we identify those is maybe we should also mention how we can see the difference between a male and a female because we've been talking a lot about male. Yeah, we and got that question now. at your gallery the other day. Yes. Yeah, yeah. So males and females, obviously, size is 
is always a big thing. Males can often weigh 30 to 40 kilograms heavier than females, sometimes even heavier. Say for instance, you come across an individual from a distance and you can't really work it out. The best way to do it is the head. Males have a lot larger head um, than females. And um, if an individual is walking, say for instance, walking towards you, and you, obviously you're in a vehicle, looks a lot smaller than it actually is because you're in a vehicle. You look at the shoulders. Mm. Normally males have these massive shoulders. Females, I wouldn't say are petite animals, but the head is smaller and you can't often see while they're walking down the road the how toned their shoulders are. And yeah, like I said, they're about a head. The, for someone that's a little bit inexperienced with identifying uh, identifying males and females, the best way to do it is when they're next to each other. But if you look at the head, heads are smaller and the shoulders aren't as lean. Mm, I think it has a lot to do with like just being around, yeah, seeing yeah, them yeah. a lot. It, it comes with experience, just seeing that difference. And then obviously, the the obvious thing that you can look at if you are from the right <laughs> angle is the balls. <laughs> That's males. always a winner. That's males will have balls, females yeah. won't. <laughs> exactly. But okay, let's move on to, to other cats. I think a cheetah is an interesting one as well. So cheetah is uh, a very interesting cat to identify. Um, lions is, is different, but we'll focus on that a little bit later. Cheetah, it's more the spot patterns down the flank of the animal on left and right. So you will have unique clusters of spots in different areas on a cheetah's body there the identification and don't ask me why i have never really worked too much with cheetah in the kruger national park or greater kruger national park where i have worked they've they haven't been as frequent as they are in other places so i am not an expert on cheetah identification but from what i have heard and what i have read is the identification is all to do with the flanks down the body um, it's important to know um, individual cheetahs because from a research point of view, they're a critically endangered animal. The, the spot patterns show the distribution of that animal. So it shows if that anim animal is identified somewhere else, maybe it's potentially left a national park or something like that. And that's why it's important for cheetah to or to have identification kits on, on cheetah in particular. And is the, the size between male and female same thing It's there? difficult. It's difficult. Cheetah for me has always been a difficult one. I would say very, very similar to, to leopards. Head size. Um, generally, if you, you have... Because male cheetah travel in what you call coalitions if they have the option to dominate more area. Females are generally on their own with youngsters, with cubs or sub-adults. But it is it is different. They quite a similar height. You really just need to go on again the leanness. Males are a lot more bulky. Uh, not that cheetahs get very bulky. They're quite brittle animals. Uh, but they they're a lot more bulky, and also the head size is just slightly bigger. The cheeks. The cheeks. Yeah, yeah. They they could. Cheeks are a little broader. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Okay. That's interesting. Yeah. yeah. So obviously, an obvious way of seeing, as you as you mentioned, females will will have cubs. So if Those are battles. Yeah. So if there's if there's two of them and it's mm -hmm. one tiny and one big, you you can be quite sure that it's a female with a cub. It's not gonna be. 
Yeah, and also, yeah, 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 exactly. But also, you know, they're not cheetahs don't always travel in coalitions. Males, no. for example, sometimes they. I I there was a coalition that used to come through, uh, an area I worked early in my career of four males. Oh, sorry, five, and then it ended up with just being one. Um, they all got killed by lions, and yeah, that was, yeah, that 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 can actually end up happening where you just have one male cheetah on its own. So it's not uncommon. Yeah. And, and lions, I think they are maybe the most obvious ones when they are adults. Yeah, because they are social animals. So you can generally go on pride dynamic. How many females in the specific pride, how many youngsters, how many sub-adults, and then how many dominant males in the area. Often when identifying lions, you can go on the whisker line spot pattern. They have a whisker line as well. Well, not necessarily spot pattern, but whisker lines. Uh, but not many people do that. Nowadays, it's more uh, with scarring. So I, I personally identify, and some people might do it differently, I personally identify lions with with scars. The two dominant males that we had uh, at our the most recent property we worked at, that was the... That was the whole way how I, I, the only way I identified those males yeah. was the scarring on the noses. And um, yeah, scarring and dynamics. So how many of these individuals are traveling together? Sometimes you might have a few scratches and scars and gaps in ears that you can use as an identity. That's not only strictly um, subject to lions, it's subject to all three of the big cats. Am I right if I say that Lions often it's easier to to find scars and they will more mm. often have scars because they are live in the pride and they will actually get scars from just like feeding together yeah know, with the family and you know mm. will most likely be fighting with each other yeah. like that while you know cheetah and and especially leopard is solitary so they will really try to avoid getting into fights with other individuals because that can mean that yeah. they Definitely, definitely, you know, the lions are definitely a more scarred animal because of their, the politics around a kill. Mm. And it's everyone for themselves. And like you said, cheetah, you might find there might be a bit of a scrap with coalitions of three or four or five male cheetah together when they've killed something small, but not often. And leopards obviously being solitary, Mm. um, they don't, or when they do have cubs, they're, when you watch leopards feed, they're quite respectful of each other, uh, or a mother and her cubs. Um, they'll hiss and growl, but mm. very rarely will they fight. And if a male happens to find a female's kill, he will want to steal from it, but the female will just let him have it and run away, mm. um, rather than uh, have the, the confrontation. But yeah, lion. going back to lions, um, also, sorry, I missed main size. So for, if you're identifying a male, yes. um, main size is because they go through quite unique phases of when their mane is going from no mane to full mane. So generally, that's not always the case. Sometimes males tap out at like a half mane, but very rarely. And, um, but yeah, you can identify them through... All different features like that. Scarring, scratches, mane size. Um, area, again? Area, again, always. Any, any, anything to do with a territorial predator or territorial ind- individual of any kind is you can you use as an identification method as well, but general identification me- method. Mm. But seeing a difference between male and females, I think that's quite easy Lines. unless they are young. Yeah, so the trickiest part of identifying, because I spoke about identifying pride dynamics. 
So when you're wanting to identify lions, so if you're wanting to get pride dynamics, you want to get it 100% right. So when you've got, say, for instance, eight cubs in a pride, mm. uh, you're wanting to, to identify as early as possible males, females, mm. so you can get the exact number. But that it also, sometimes prides will split. Mm. And then it gets a bit tricky to identify which, which pride you have on your property and that's where you have to go on scarrings and other forms of identification but uh, yeah you the only time to to that's difficult to sex and an individual line is when they're uh, under a year or eight months old between yeah let's say younger than a year because obviously then they the main hasn't main started to brood, to come through yet uh, but even at younger ages you start to see the size difference between male and females even that head mm. You just need to be 100% sure and look at the, the, the testing. <laughs> I think it's also, again, it's something that comes with time, spending mm, time with these animals absolutely. to see the difference. It, it often happens to me that I post, you know that I love a young male lion. Mm. I think they are mm. almost the most beautiful of, of lions. And it's sometimes when I post a photo of a young male and I know it's a young male, a lot of people will be like, oh, that's such a beautiful female. Mm. And then I'll just have to correct them, which is, you know, that's 100% something, it's a very easy mistake to make. But I yeah. think because I've spent so much time with with lions, I've, it, it kind of, you pick it up easier yeah. because of the head size, as you say. And then also young males, you know, when they start getting that little bit of mane start growing through, it can it can sometimes look like a female but the 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 thing that you can you know identify that's male is that there's a little bit yeah. of mane go, starting to grow, and a lot of people sometimes miss that little detail when they're looking at at young males. Mm. Yeah, I think, and then you, then you've got wild dogs as well, of course. Um, that's an interesting that, one. That is a very interesting one, but that's also patterns down the flank because they don't have spots. I struggle with um, wild dogs. I I I personally, I will say, I cannot identify. Uh, a wild dogs um... unless they have like a very specific yes. like maybe they have like a, a white ear or mm. you know a specific kind of there's something an identifying mm. feature that is really like a white half white face or something yeah. where it's like very specific or like they're missing a piece of their tail because they've got mm. those white those prominent white tips on the tail and sometimes individuals are you know when they're young and their their bodies are a little bit brittle and they're playing with the the other pups, sometimes it gets bitten off by a pup or something like that. So that's that's all you can identify, but it is really difficult. But it's also the patterning on the side. Um, but that you need hundred percent photos. You can't just count spots and see oh yeah. this spot's slightly off. You need photos by how that pattern kinks and how because it, it's because it's it's almost like wild dogs is blotches. It's mm. not spots. It's a blotch where there's a, a significant area of the body that is a dot and yeah how it how it's kind of how that's that smudge is shaped is, is a way you can identify the same thing with, with male and females i also struggle really badly with yeah, similar size um you know, again you go on the the, the testicles <laughs> yeah that's the easiest way of doing it. but also you can go on the face but again you need to spend a lot of time with them um they, they do have a, a bigger face Interesting one, I think, to move on away from predators because it's not just predators that <clears> we can recognize. Because uh, you're talking about how you need to look at, like, with wild dogs looking at uh, photos next to each other mm. and how to specific. Um, same thing with, with zebra. The way that you identify a zebra, which I can't do myself, but I know they do this in, yeah. in research and so on, is that 
every obviously the zebra stripe stripes is actually like a fingerprint it's very yeah. it's difficult it's very different depending on the individual and the best way of seeing it is by their front shoulder it's like the stripes meet and becomes like a triangle if you look at it like a zebra next time you see a zebra or a photo of a zebra try to see on the on the front shoulder that there's the stripes meet and create basically a triangle and that's what researchers use as the like fingerprint of a zebra to recognize certain individuals yeah it is uh, i i think i i i haven't researched too much i haven't done too much research on zebra um so but what i from what i have heard it is the exactly like fingerprint and they go on that that exact stripe pattern so you're 100 and then uh, what about things like elephants and I think buffalo is maybe a tricky yeah. one, but but elephants is, is an interesting one. Elephants is the generally the ears. You go on the age of the animal, which is you know there's constant arguments because actually in actual fact the only way you can tell exact age of animals is through their teeth. But often elephants, especially specific individuals, have quite the you you photograph the ear because the the ear will wear down um, and you'll get certain holes as they go through a lot of thick bush especially in the kruger region and um they'll have unique kind of holes almost like piercings yeah exactly piercings and yeah that's that's pretty much the best way to to identify elephant in my opinion remember these are all opinions um you can also do tusk size tusk size tusk length yeah and some some individuals will have like a tusk that looked that bends a little bit differently mm. or will have one that is very short and one that's very long or you know you start yeah. you start also again spending time with animals you start picking up on small differences yeah, and start recognizing you had there was this one female at the one lodge we worked at that had like an ear that folded yeah she had no cartilage there was mm. no cartilage in the ear whatsoever and it just kind of hung there and i think it got damaged either when she was either was a birth defect or it was so it was damaged while they were well while she was playing with another elephant but yeah that was that was I, I forgot about that and yeah she that was the way you could identify her um and then there was that one female that had quite long tusks and the one was like le- the, the, her right tusk kind of leaned right mm. and um, yeah so that's another way you can identify individuals it's very important when with regards to uh, elephant's identification it's just Get an ID on the matriarch, and then you'll be able to, obviously, the, the rest of the herd follow that matriarch, and you can basically pick up what herd it is. Mm. But it's difficult when there's so many herds. I mean, Kruger's got a massive population of elephants. Well, I mean, yeah. a lot of reserves in, in Africa have a massive herd, a population of elephants. And why is it important to to be able to identify an individual, uh, everything from leopard to, to elephants, not only, I think, in your field or our field, it's from a guest storytelling point of view, yeah. almost. But I think in research as well and conservation, it is important. I think it's very important to remember that this is done from a conservation point of view. It's And people often get confused. And why you name animals is can be taken in the wrong way. Almost like we need to remember and often when you name animals because you'll identify an animal and then you will name the animal and then there's a lot of human emotion that gets put in because now it's almost I don't want to use this term but almost like pet like because it's got a name 
So it's very, I, I personally say, like once you've identified an individual, name the individual, but name the individual after a characteristic of that specific individual or an area. Mm. So the green-eyed male, he had green eyes. You know, it's, it's not, you're not attached too much. It's just, it's just kind of, this is who that male is. This is how we identify him. Often names will be, you know, in, in a local language that means something. Yeah. That is a characteristic, yes. as you say. That that uh, that dark female leopard mm. with the orange eyes, we called her Lamula because that means orange in Shangan in the local language uh, of that area. Yeah, so the list goes on and on and how you should name individuals. But why it's important a is... A lot of researchers are not happy with naming individuals. Yes. Because of the yes. human attachment that yes. that, that creates. I completely agree with that. Um human attachment is is a bit of a problem um, that's when you get what we call Facebook conservationists saying oh you need to feed the animal it needs to survive no it's just lived it's it's lifespan it's 16 years old it's, it's nature it's time for that that individual to, to die and I think it is important for for everyone to understand that why this is done is purely from a, a conservation point of view to number one see the numbers in the area for example of lions leopards often it's with territorial predators that it's associated because predators then affect everything else of the growth of your antelope species lion population affect buffalo population and larger herbivores but yeah the list goes on and on and on i'm not going to get too much into that but going back to the importance of it it's to see how many males, how many females is the specific male leopard dominant over. You know, you can understand that. And it enhances a guest experience. You as a guide look incredibly good when you can sit on your vehicle and say, guys, we are driving through this area along this river line. It's dominated by this male. That is a link. It's almost you've, you've baited your guests to ask, oh, how do you know this, Craig? Well... Well, Jim, uh, let, let me tell you something. So you can identify and it, it, it makes it your, you, you almost bait them into taking your knowledge. Also, I think it enhances the experience. Absolutely. It is it, not that you need to enhance a leopard sighting much because that's no. an amazing experience in gen, in like already, mm. but it enhances it even more, you know, be, being able to hear the backstory of, of this individual. And if you, you know, if you don't have, if you're not lucky enough to find the individual, when you track it and you find tracks and you say, you can say, okay, guys, this is this male. Mm. Yeah, he hangs around this area, so it's probably his tracks. And then you can say, you know what, last week we saw him doing this and this, and he has had this interaction with this other male. People feel like then they have seen it. Yeah. They have seen this happen. And it's the same thing for me with my photos, for example, being able to tell a backstory of mm. the animal I photograph. People love that because it it creates human attach attachment, but I think in a good way, yeah. in, a, in an enhancing way. Yeah, and that was actually a <laughs> funny story. You know, like when you're tracking an individual, uh, it's very important to, to say <laughs> as a guide, and if guides are listening out there, uh, don't ever call in on the radio if you're tracking an animal say I've got tracks for this specific individual because senior guides will wreck you um, because you can never guarantee that it's that specific individual except in the case where you have uh, twin spot that I said earlier in the podcast I said 
had that skewed toe. Yeah. But yeah, you can you can talk to your guests and say, I would assume it's this individual. Because you can never 100% be sure with tracking an individual that it is that individual. But yeah, it is naming and identifying and keeping ID kits on animals is very important because also bloodlines. You can track bloodlines and sometimes people will piece together that, oh wow, we've got four generations of leopard in this area of this bloodline. And that that's quite amazing to see. And, and again, you, we spoke about uh, guest excitement. Mm. Uh, it does, it really does excite excite guests like because it's because it's a story people are like i want to be part of this and then also you know from a from a social media point of view now we're moving into marketing and how it's how it's important there's people want to come back mm. they've seen a specific individual as uh, i had i had an example where they saw a, a specific female leopard as a cub and then a couple years later that female leopard had cubs and um they were like, wow, we saw that as a baby. We want to come back and we want to, we want to try to see if we can see her cubs. Like, that's amazing because there is that, there is that guest attachment um, to that specific individual. Um, there's, always, there's always something where you've seen it before and you want to see it again, you know what I mean? Absolutely, yeah. yeah. So I think I'm, I'm rambling now, uh, but I think, long story short, I think naming and identifying animals is very, very important for the industry and for conservation research going forward um, to a certain extent yes exactly with we, we just need to remember and i would encourage anyone that that comes to south africa or africa, or africa in general yeah um that just don't get don't get too attached to this animal just please keep in mind that this is still a wild animal mm-hmm. and don't don't let human attachment take over it's not your domestic dog or your domestic cat let the wild still be wild Absolutely, I think that's very wise words. <laughs> I try. So, to wrap up this episode, we are now going to do another guest scenario. Now, Craig is going to tell me a guest scenario. And are you doing a would you rather? I, I am doing a would you rather. <laughs> We're now, guys. Sometimes, and we've seen this before, and we will talk about it more in a in a future episode. We're just we're just kind of fine tuning it is um, how much strain you take in the lodge industry, in particular uh, managers, guides, sometimes you take, <laughs> let's not call it abuse, but yeah, you can take abuse. Um, but yeah, just, you just, you're under a lot of pressure and sometimes guests don't make it easier. And you can't say whatever you want to a guest. Yes, exactly. And um, yeah, it's... In particular, for women, can be quite stressful and straining because, you know, gentlemen can often make comments that are not very appreciated in this industry. And I just want to iterate that, guys, just please be respectful if you are going to a restaurant or a, a lodge. You know that that lady might have a have a partner already, and you know. Don't be overly flirtatious. But going back to my question, um, Carolina, would you rather have a guest that is very nice and great and just a great individual, a great gentleman, 
chat, open, open-minded about the world. Uh, just, just a great guy to chat to, but leaves absolutely no gratuity for a four-night stay for any of your general staff because I know you never, you, 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 like obviously your team was big at the lodge. You had a big general staff team. Yeah. Or would you rather have this overly grossly flirtatious man that left a wad of money for you and your team at the end of the day? Like how flirtatious? Sure, yeah. Um, I, I, I don't know, like, just, you know, like, making, I wouldn't say, let's not, let's. Is it like touching your hair for <laughs> That has happened. That, 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 has that happened. happened, and that was weird. Um. It was very weird. Yeah. Especially when he just gets off a game drive. Um. Called me Rapunzel and Rapunzel, touched my hair. Yes, yes. So for the rest of their stay, I put my hair up in a, in a bun so that they wouldn't they touch wouldn't it. touch your hair. That was great. That was the same looking that that old lady was wiping my face. Yes. The game drive. You see, this is, this is the stuff we deal with in the lodge industry. Or it, it, it's, it, it's mind blowing. It's almost unbelievable. But, um, yeah, let's get back to the question. When I say overly flirtatious, I think maybe a little bit like, I wouldn't say touchy-feely in a bad way, but touching the shoulder every now and then, or yeah, something along those lines. But nothing nothing majorly bad, just a little, little, a little bit, bit uncomfortable, okay, let's say that. Okay. Which has also happened plenty of times. It happens often. I think I would take one for the team. And I would, I would, I would go for the over flirtatious man, cause, cause I, at least my my general staff team would would get a good tip out of it. Yeah. You know, I, I would take one for the team, yeah. but it, it, it's a it, difficult one though, cause also at yeah. the same time I'm like, is money worth it? Yeah, exactly. It's, it's, it's also how much money. I didn't mention the sum. No, no. But, but I did say it was a big, a big, big gratuity. But I think, I think if it was, if it was just me, and it wasn't my team. Then I would probably say rather have a nice guest, but but because it's my team, yeah. Um, I think I think you also you you know how hard your team works, and I know how hard the teams at the lodge work, and mm. you know there it is. You, when when someone doesn't leave a gratuity, it is something that is it makes you quite disappointed because let's be honest, the the salaries in the industry are not the greatest. And that's the thing. I feel. I think also I know how incredibly happy they would be. Every month when when I was paying out yeah, the because yeah, yeah, yeah. we would do it do it monthly so they could get like a big sum at at, at, once. at one time and and I also when I would I would always talk talk to the staff after a booking checked out and and tell them if the person left something or not and how much they left so that they were aware of what was going on yeah. and, you know so that there's trust and all of that and just how happy they were when there was a good good tip that someone had left and. That money makes a huge difference in their life because, as you say, Absolutely. the the money at the lodge isn't always great, and it just makes a very big difference to get a good gratuity. I think we're not going to divulge too much into this, but one thing I do want to say is um, that, like you know, we've worked at some pretty fortunate properties. We've we've worked at some amazing properties, um, and we've worked with some solid teams. Mm. Like the teams we have worked worked with hand in hand have been just next level mm. trackers guides front of house uh, chefs they've been really really good so they they when when they do get a a gratuity like that it does it warms your heart doesn't it as a manager yeah um because it's just it's, it's like so you wow never you know, it. it comes exactly mm. 
And that's why, yeah, I encourage you people, come to South Africa, tip the staff. Like, it's it's an important thing. Like I said, the manager, the, the salaries aren't the greatest in the world. And they work hard for you. And if you see they've gone the extra mile, throw them a couple bucks. Mm. Maybe more than just a couple bucks. <laughs> Anyway, on that note, guys, I think it will end today's episode and we'll be coming back to you soon with the next episode. We are covering the Greta Kruger. Yeah, we wanted a break between um, talking about lodges and and reserves. So we had the Kruger National Park itself yesterday. Uh, Not yesterday. (laughs) The last podcast. Um, And then we have... We have this one on identification of animals, and then we'll just just a little split between the podcasts of reserves. So we'll see you guys then, and hope you have an amazing day, and thank you for listening. Cheers, guys.